Welcome to the Daily Bolster. Each day we welcome transformational executives to share their real-world experiences and practical advice about scaling yourself, your team, and your business. Welcome to the Daily Bolster. I'm Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster. And I'm here today with my friend, Jeremy Swift. Jeremy is the co-founder and CEO of Cordial, uh, which is a cross-channel marketing platform. Uh, Jeremy is someone I've known for many years uh, in the digital marketing industry and uh, now in uh, a couple of the same venture portfolios together. Jeremy, welcome to The Daily Bolster. Thanks. Really fun to be here with you, Matt. Yeah, so I'm excited to, to dig in uh, to your career, um, which... Uh, uh, you know, it's always interesting when I look at someone's LinkedIn profile, who I know, because I don't necessarily know everything they've done and exactly how they got where they got. And I looked at yours and I was expecting to see like three or four or five things. And there were two. <laughs> there was a co-founder of Blue Hornet and co-founder of Cordial or founder of Cordial. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I'm guessing uh, from the dates that you started Blue Hornet uh, in your dorm room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, possibly with friends from college. Yeah. Uh, and so let's start there. Um, 15 year run. How did you, you know, conceive of an of an email marketing platform in college? Like there's a lot of stuff like Facebook, you get how Zuckerberg came up with that. He got the printed Harvard freshman, whatever it's called, wanted to make a platform out of it. Like how how did you get to founding uh an enterprise SaaS company in your a B2B enterprise SaaS company in your dorm room? Yeah, I mean, I uh somewhat accidental and uh i would just say uh whimsical uh optimism of uh i wanted to build a company way more than i wanted to uh go to classes uh in college so i think i was looking for any way out uh on some level and that was you know maybe not many people will remember this uh these days but there was a, there was actually a first internet bubble that was going on then and uh you know that was the that was still kind of the heyday of it it was what a year or two removed from when the kind of proverbial bubble burst so to speak and i just wanted to be in that i mean there was so much uh just activity and fervor around that that it was kind of intoxicating i wanted to be doing that more than school like i said and uh uh the idea for blue hornet and an email marketing was actually not even my own it was a buddy in college of mine and uh we were in a business management class together and this guy was always daydreaming off on other things too. And uh, he uh, he shared the idea of what he had. Uh, we called it an e-communications platform uh, at the beginning. And uh, that, sounds, that sounds contemporary, doesn't it? <laughs> totally, totally. With the hyphen in there as well. Yeah. And um, so I could have cared less what the idea was. I just wanted to go build something and to be a part of kind of that whole ecosystem that was going on there. So uh, <laughs> myself and uh, a bunch of other uh uh, friends and buddies in college all jumped in. We started making cold calls out of our dorm rooms. We uh, paid some guy with equity to build the first version of the software and it didn't work. And, uh, you know, then one of the guys uh, who was selling the software um, that we didn't actually have a published version of it yet, uh, when we got the first version that didn't work back from this guy, uh, he said, well, I closed a deal. I closed our first deal. So I need to give him something. And so this guy was just a, an uber genius and he uh, went to Borders Books and he bought a PHP for dummies and MySQL for dummies. And he literally laid in bed and taught himself PHP and MySQL. And he eventually became our CTO and he built the platform from the ground up at that point. So, yeah. 
Wow. And uh, so 15 years, good long run. Um, as someone who's familiar with good long runs, uh, <laughs> you had a bunch of different roles, at least according to LinkedIn, right? Uh, one of them is not CEO, as far as I can tell, but it was customer success, strategic accounts, partnerships. You were on the board, you were not on the board. So, you know, sort of front of the house make, makes sense. Yep. Um, would love to hear, you know, just a little bit about sort of the, the journey over 15 years. Um, how uh, big did the company get? What was the exit like? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, I mean, it was kind of at a time where everybody, I mean, everybody wore every hat and uh, we were all doing sales at the beginning. And then we started to sell stuff and we started to have clients. And uh, then we started saying, well, we need somebody to support these clients. So who feels like they have that acumen or wants to gravitate towards that side of the business. And so that was the side of the business that I put my hand up and said, I'd like to, I'd like to lead that. And uh, um, we, gosh, grew the business to about two, two and a half million in ARR, uh, which felt massive <laughs> at the time. Uh, this was 2004. We had overtures from a bunch of different companies out there because email marketing as a category was kind of starting to get a little frothy and a little hot there. And so uh, we ended up selling the business to a public company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota called Digital River. Uh, they were in the e-commerce space. They were trying to build, you know, acquire the stack, so to speak, of they had the front end and then they wanted to build, you know, acquire all of the other tooling that would drive traffic to their front end stores for their clients and whatnot. And so we were the email marketing engine of that. Uh, we thought, man, this is, you know, this is the greatest day of our lives to be able to sell a business like this. Lo and behold, um, as I have I joked on a number of occasions with um, my now friend and one of uh, my investors in Cordial, Scott Dorsey, uh, we sold way too early and uh, his exit had a few more zeros on it uh, to Salesforce than ours did to Digital River. But for a bunch of uh, 20-somethings in college, uh, it was a pretty darn good exit. Uh, we felt good about it, but we didn't. We only raised. Uh, we had one angel investor within the company. We didn't go. I was going to say you weren't. You weren't venture. You weren't venture funded. We knew nothing about that. We didn't raise any uh, capital outside of this one individual. Uh, made a bunch of mistakes in terms of how we managed our cap table, and uh, get we gave away uh, majority ownership in the company early on as a result of it. There's all sorts of just tragic mistakes. But uh, you live and you learn, and uh, you gain uh, hopefully a lot of wisdom from those moments. Uh, and um, we did a three-year earnout with Digital River, learned uh, the uh, pros and cons of an earnout process. Uh, and after that ended, 2007, so we sold the business to them for earnout into 2007. I got married then, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't. I didn't have something next in mind and digital river was actually a pretty darn good company i really enjoyed being there and they allowed me to really write my own ticket for what i wanted to do and so i i moved into roles of strategy i got to travel around the world uh i did a lot of public speaking in that role and then eventually i had a, a mentor in my life who said jeremy if you ever want to go start something again on your own you need to learn sales and i said no way i don't need to learn sales sales is for used car sales people i don't want to do that and a year or two later, uh, that individual said, so are you ready yet? 
because you have to learn this discipline and you have all the ability to, uh, they felt. And so I moved into that role, uh, took the advice, ended up leading uh, the sales organization for that company and super grateful that I got that advice and ultimately uh, took that individual up on it too. Interesting. Um, I want to back up on uh, something for a second. So three-year earnout. Um, not a topic that uh, that I've covered yet on uh, the Daily Bolster, um, and an interesting one. So, as a, as a, an acquirer, Return Path acquired lots of companies. We we did one or two times we did an earnout, but we did a really narrow one, like a six month or a twelve month. Talk a little bit about the the and earnouts are usually the thing that bridges the gap. Like I want X, the buyer wants to pay Y. You know they're willing to come to X, but only if there's you know there's performance metrics associated with it. Talk about sort of what you learned about that, like what parts of it worked, what parts of it didn't work. Hmm. Um, I mean there there's a number, but uh, I mean first and foremost is the time horizon that you think about that too. Yeah. Uh, and in our minds, again, as kind of young twenty somethings, we thought. Well, three years that they they attached a bigger dollar amount to that man. That just that gives us more time with uh, a well capitalized uh, parent company behind us now to go hit that and achieve that. But ultimately, you know, there were things like EBITDA uh, that we had to achieve uh, within that. And so, uh, when you're thinking about margin profiles, you need to hit and achieve. Um, there were you know, that truncated and we had really not done a great job of probably uh, marking how that would impact the ability to invest in the business as well. And uh, so it was very hard. There was uh, limited, there was no uh, external investment coming from the parent company. It was, we could only reinvest back into ourselves uh, additional profits after we were returning a certain amount of EBITDA to, to the parent company. And so Interesting. So you had you had a, you had more control over it than a lot of founders have on an earnout, but it sounds like it was something you weren't quite equipped to to go crush. Not at all. Not at all. So um, yeah, I, I would I would definitely shrink the time horizon on that. I you know earnouts sometimes are a requirement and a necessity in certain acquisitions, so you don't always have you know, the ability to say, uh, to say no to that. But I do think making sure that you're really thoughtful about what you're modeling, uh, in terms of your ability to go and achieve those numbers, uh, understanding what kind of control and investment posture you have behind that at the end of the day, I think all of those things are, are quite important. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so in the end, if, if the earnout potential was X, what, what percent of X did you and your co-founders end up with? Uh, we actually negotiated uh, an early end of the earnout, uh, about six months early, and we did, in the end, gosh, probably sixty percent of the total. That's actually that's not bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It yeah. wasn't bad. Um, yeah. So, all right. So you're at Digital River. You're in a selling role. You're learning. You're growing. Um, What's the founding story of Cordial? So Cordial basically is a next generation version of digital of, of uh, Blue Hornet. Yeah. Um, so obviously a subject matter expert. 
Um, presumably you had to navigate some kind of non-compete or something or other. Um, but uh, you know, you got advice from someone that says, hey, if you're gonna do another one, you gotta learn sales, you do sales, now what? Yeah, I, I fell in love with sales. I, I fell in, in love with um, the process. Um, start to finish. I, I was nothing uh, kind of felt boring or intimidating to me, whether it was the cold call outreach side of things all the way to, uh, you know, getting a contract and, and building that relationship long term with that, uh, uh, the individual or collection of individuals. The thing that was the pivot point for me, and I'll, and I'll give a brief version of this story is that a very close friend, uh, it, this individual had become a close friend uh, because she had brought us in uh, as a solution at three different stops in her career. And uh, we had done quite well for them in those places. She landed at a new co, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we're about to make a decision on a diff uh, on a provider. I told the team, stop. I want them to look at you and evaluate y'all. Uh, because of her position and authority, the team felt inclined to probably move forward with us. Uh, we made a bunch of overpromises uh, in terms of what we could deliver and do for them at the end of the day, and we completely missed and failed for them. And uh, that individual was so disappointed and kind of so somewhat heartbroken over the fact that uh, I had had let her and 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 her team down as a result of that. That story really carried me forward then into Cordial where I said, all right, there's an opportunity to build something from the ground up. We think that there has been such a, like enough time has gone by and there's been enough maturation with cloud and just overall software technology that we believed we could make not just a half step, but a significant step forward in terms of the evolution of this technology in the space. And so that led us into building Cordial, but it was really through the premise of, uh, I felt like I, I, well, I ended up losing that relationship. That individual to this day has not responded to a single email uh, or outreach that I've done uh, to them because I felt like I, I broke my promise. I broke uh, I broke trust with that individual. And that was kind of one of the things or is kind of an underlying thing for me personally in, in founding Cordial, as I said, I'm going to come hell or high water. I'm going to do everything I can to never do that again. We're going to, we're going to sell what we've got. We're going to be, I mean, it, it's all funneled back into the name. It's why we're called Cordial. You know, that's a big part of it. Uh, it's why our like incorporated name is Cordial Experience. It literally is about the experience that we are creating from start to finish mm. for an individual, for teams. And it's because I would say I didn't do the Cordial thing in terms of how I uh, handled that relationship and that trust that was given to me, which was quite sacred. And I think I took advantage of that. I love it. I love that that's the name. <laughs> I actually never knew, never knew the name story. So um, so super interesting. All right. So you start Cordial. Um, any of the same uh, co-founders? So, uh, yeah, the individual who, uh, you know, taught himself PHP and MySQL, uh, yeah, he was, he's our CTO, uh, and was one of my co-founders. 
And then uh, we ended up having two other co-founders that we brought into the business uh, with us as well. Uh, David Baker, who's a dear friend uh, and colleague of mine for many years. And then another one, Chris McGreal, who was uh, kind of part of the early founding team of of Blue Hornet as well. So yeah, there was a lot of trust, a lot of equity, uh, you know, built around that that team. And obviously a lot of kind of intellectual property in terms of what we knew about the category and the space. And uh, it wasn't a guess. We weren't making a guess on what we thought we needed to go do. It was very intentional, very deliberate and explicit on what we were building and why we were building it. Yeah. And actually that was going to be one of my questions of like, how did you think about the sort of customer discovery, validation, product market fit, like all that stuff when you were such deep domain experts, hmm. um, you know, for, for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you feel like you approached that differently? Um, I mean, I, I don't know what I don't know because it's only the second time I've done this and the first time uh, was just a blur as a, as a 21-year-old. But I think we, we probably were able to skip. We kind of got to jump the line a little bit, so to speak, with respect to uh, product vision, uh, trying to create product market fit, uh, or do we have enough uh, data points to try and get to product market fit quickly. I mean, we had already sold Cordial into multiple brands before we even had an MVP of it out. And part of that was because individuals said, I know y'all know the problems that exist within this category systemically. And I, I hear your vision, I'm bought into it. And again, trust was a big piece of that with them. But Man, we were able to hit the ground running pretty quickly uh, with a a product offering, largely because we we knew what already existed, we knew what the problems were with that, and we kind of could separate out the cruft from that too. Right. You know, a little bit of the Apple model of Apple's rarely the first one, but they take the best of and then they build that into their product and they leave a bunch of the other features behind. Sure, yeah, a little bit yeah. of opportunity there. We are far from Apple, but uh, a little bit of that methodology. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love your, um, your uh, the, the comment you just made, like you skipped the line. So um, one of the things about being a repeat founder um, is you get to, you kind of get to skip the line on a few things. So first, right, you start it with a bunch of people that you've already worked with, you have a high degree of trust. Um, you know, second, you're a deep domain expert in the space because you, your second company was in the same space as the first company. What were some other areas where you feel like you were able to, to you know, skip the line or at least cut, <laughs> um, you know, having having brought forward some learnings from company one? Yeah. I, and if it's OK, I might share uh, some hit hit on that one, but then also talk about some areas where I think there were some gaps, though, too. Yeah. Um, you know, we very quickly and easily we're able to identify kind of a, a, a target list of uh, potential customers that we were going to engage with and reach out to. So you think of a sales motion so early on, you're trying to figure like, how do I get in touch with people? How do I start selling this to people? How do I get people to know who I am? And so we were able to leverage our networks. We knew so, we had so much intel about the market and what customers were using, what the pain points were there. And we just knew how to be quite surgical fairly early on with that. And I think that was a huge advantage, especially in terms of being able to gain some early traction. Now, a couple of areas where I I don't think it served us well, one, going back to that point I just made actually, is it actually, it 
an area I think it backfired on us is we just created a large list of people we knew and companies we had enough intel on that we could go after. That is not an ICP. Like that is that is just called spraying and praying. And so we did not do a great job right out of the gate of having a very focused and targeted ICP where we were across categories and verticals, uh, size of clients within that. And I think that was a detriment early on for us there. So interesting. So yeah, that, that's a clear, like you cut the line and and actually you shouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. think you can't. Well, you can cut the line there, but it has to be done thoughtfully with that approach of being very laser focused on a particular ICP, especially early on in starting a business. So yeah. Um, any other things you uh, you carried forward, either either ones that worked or ones that didn't? Well, I mean, uh, the topic we talked about earlier with respect to fake it till you make it, the area where I ran into an absolute buzzsaw on that was uh, raising capital. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO. And so my other co-founders, uh, are like, well, you're going to go do that. Like, we'll go build this thing, but you're going to go get the money for it. Right? But you hadn't done that before. I'd never done that before. Right. But externally people we would talk to who either knew me or would look at my, my profile would go, oh, second time founder totally knows this process. And so people would speak to me in a way, in a manner, they would use all sorts of language and jargon, mm. uh, kind of like fundraising jargon is what I would uh, put it in a bucket as, assuming I knew it all and that I was very experienced and very well-versed in that. And I wasn't. And I was tripping over myself trying to maintain these conversations. And I'd get off the phone with people and I'd sit there and say to myself, I have no idea what they just said. And it's because I was trying to fake it till I make it. And man, it took months in before I finally hit a point went, I can't do this anymore. Like the only way through on this is I have to be incredibly vulnerable. And let me just be the dumb guy in the room that says, seek help. <laughs> uh, can you explain that? What does that acronym mean? What When you say that term, what does that mean to you? And I, the second I did that, Matt, it was crazy. Everybody, and I mean everybody, I, there was not a single person I spoke to that made me feel dumb or in fear or went, how do you not know that? They all went, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, let me dig into that or let's talk about that. And my just knowledge and growth skyrocketed at that point. Uh, so... That was yeah, that's, that's such, such a good point. Look, it doesn't matter how many times you start businesses, you do not know everything. And um, even if uh, even if other people expect you to, yeah, it's okay not to. Amen. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit. So, so Cordial has been nine years now, or so. Yeah. Uh, what roughly size and scale of business today? Like how many employees or whatever you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're about 150 now. Uh, okay. Very fortunate to be growing quite rapidly. Uh, the business has had a absolutely off the charts uh, year uh, from a growth perspective. Our entire category and sector is is quite hot right now. Uh, you know, we have uh, a kind of competitor in our market that serves the lower end of the market that just filed an S one. We have another competitor that we directly compete with in the enterprise uh, that is uh, is a public company now too uh, for a couple of years. Uh, yeah, it's, um, 
we we think we're at a really interesting category and the company is reaching a very different growth clip. I mean, we've kind of got 100 million ARR in our sites uh, over the next 18 months uh, or so and feel like, you know, that's that's a very different pivot point for this business in terms of how we think about how we execute the talent, uh, how we're all trying to mature and grow uh, systems, people, processes, et cetera. But uh, yeah. it's an exciting challenge, though, too. That's super exciting. So I want to come back to the scaling topic, which will be next. Yeah. But I want to press on one thing that you just said that I think is interesting. Um, I You are competing with several companies who uh, are enormous, you know, the world's biggest enterprise software companies, right? Infinite resources, as far as, as, far as people like you and I are concerned. Yeah. You're also competing with other companies that are of your vintage um, that I think are significantly more capitalized than you, or at least have raised a lot more money. Maybe they've burned it. Um, so I'm curious how you how you think about that. And you've been able to do a remarkable job on like a third of the money or a tenth of the money, I think, that, that a couple of your competitors have raised. And you may be a little smaller than they are, um, although it sounds like you're starting to catch up. Uh, how how have you sort of thought through that? Uh, a couple of things. Um, I I just have a fundamentally different belief system or approach to uh, raising capital and and what it is is there for uh, and what the purpose of that is. I mean, we've we have modeled every single fundraising event as last money into the business. It's just been an approach that we took. We never wanted to believe that there was a money tree behind us that we could go and pull on and pull, you know, well, we ran out of this one. Let's go grab another bucket of money. And so we modeled last money in. We kind of built uh, the business uh, in a just a different manner as a result of that. Could we have probably grown faster? I'm certain we could. But I also know in those early years, you, you're... I don't know how responsible you can sometimes be with that capital in the sense of you're still learning so many things and you make a lot of mistakes along the way as well. And so um, I do think that we've tried to be quite thoughtful in terms of how we are spending and deploying capital uh, as a business, even in a sector, like you said, where we've got competitors all around us who have raised significantly more capital than us at the end of the day. And it can be somewhat alluring or a feeling of I need to catch up or I need to play that same game as them. Uh, I, I think you can still build a really great business at the end of the day. And it's not about who raises the most capital at the end of the day as well. I, I love that mentality. I think that's something you and I share. And um, uh, I was at a, a, a CEO dinner for one of the VC portfolios that I'm in, not one of the ones you're in, uh, maybe two years ago. And um, I was sitting there with a, with another um, multi-time CEO and then a, a whole bunch of first-time CEOs. And we the the uh my my contemporary and I, shall we say, we're both struck by the fact that everyone um around the table other than us was describing their company and where their company was in terms of here's what I have to do to get to my B. Here's what I have to do to get to my A, to my C. Um, as opposed to focusing on like, what problem am I solving for customers and what journey am I taking them on? And, um, but it was very much like, yeah, if I burn this much for this amount of time, then I should be able to raise more at that valuation. And um, it's definitely a different playbook for sure. Well, and uh, even another 
uh, like side of the same coin, I would say on that too, is so often the intro or the question or how people want to get to know me uh, in Cordia would be, wait, so how much money have you raised? Right. As if that was the... As if that was a metric of success, right? Yeah, like that's the barometer of how how well are you doing? And especially in a peer circle too, so many CEOs would be like, oh, so how much money have you raised? It was like, is that's how we are equating, are we on the same level with one another? And can we relate to one another? And it feels so inauthentic at the now, end. Of the day. My answer to that is always too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, what's the biggest way that you think you have, um, in which you have, sorry, I'm trying to articulate this question the right way. Um, that philosophy um, what's the best thing you've gotten out of that? Like, is it, operation, is it operational discipline? Is it like, what, what's the, what's the best thing you've gotten out of that? Lack of delusion is clearly one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that goes without saying, hopefully. Um, um, yeah, I think there's, I want to say operational discipline because, uh, I'd, uh, but I also wouldn't want to infer by that, that that means that we have that all figured out as well. I think, I think the exercise of needing to consistently make tough choices and tough decisions, make trade-offs, I guess that's, that might be how I articulate that is in the absence of that, you say yes to everything. And I just, that's just not reality. And you then take a look at what the last 12 to 18 months has been uh, within SaaS or within just venture-backed companies in general, I think a lot of companies then had to start learning or developing that muscle. And they had to start exercising quickly to be able to de develop that too. Or in many cases, they just ran out of time to develop it. I think for us, we went, we're familiar with this. I, we always wished we could have done more and wanted to do more and wanted to say yes to, to more things, but we already had a muscle built there of what do trade-offs look like and how do we go through that decision-making process to try and land on the best trade-off decision at the end of the day. That's so important. You know, a lot of people that talk about being a founder is like going to the school of hard knocks. I actually think it's going to the school of hard choices. Amen. It's it's definitely not uh, it's not prison, uh, uh, but it is definitely a life of a lot of hard choices. Uh, yeah. and they ne they never stop. The money doesn't solve them or change them. None. They never stop. Uh, so I I love that. I think that's the proper articulation of that. All right. I want to ask you a series of rapid fire questions about scaling. Okay. Um and. Uh, yeah, this is a topic I'm obsessed with. My books are all about this. Bolster is all about helping companies and founders scale more successfully. And you've done that really well twice now. Mm. Um, so most important thing you've done to scale your team. Um. I would say therapy and coaching. Therapy and coaching for the team or for you? Because oh, my, no. 
my next question is most important thing you've done to scale yourself. So let's start, let's focus on the team. Most important thing you've done to scale the team. Yeah, I think it's, it's democratizing that it's therapy and coaching is not just for one individual. I think it needs to be for as many people as are interested in, in it and that you can provide it to. How have you navigated that? I'm going off my rapid fire here because it's an interesting question. How have you, I I get how you navigate that for coaching. Everybody needs a coach. Here's a, here's the list of coaches or here's the coach we use, right? How do you uh, navigate that for therapy, which is a much more personal thing? Um, well, I would, yeah. So I was at a, uh, I was at one, I think one of the first, uh, high alpha, uh, exo summits and they did a show of hands around the room and they said, how many of y'all have a coach? And there was a, you know, a handful of hands that went up and then, uh, it got around to myself and another CEO and they said, uh, do you guys have a coach? And I'll say, I'm, I'm grateful that this other individual came before me because I don't know that I was at a place, a healthy enough place to be vulnerable enough to say this, but uh, this individual said, oh, I don't have a coach. I have a therapist and there's a big difference. And it got to me and I said, ah, same as that individual. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I, I think that we are, this is a human being's game still, meaning building a business is about a collection of individuals and humans that come from a wide degree of backgrounds, completely different family of origins. Like the start line is totally different for everyone. And to just give somebody business coaching, I think can only take you so far. I think the reality for all of us, myself included, is we also have to process who we are and where we've come from in order to try and make all of those pieces and parts fit better together. So I'll be honest, it also feels a little bit like a bit of a grand experiment on some level, because when we started doing this, gosh, maybe three or four years ago, it wasn't a thing. People didn't talk about it. It was for sure almost some somewhat taboo. It's talked quite a bit. Uh, about quite a bit more now, but I, I think that's, that's a big piece for us. Yeah. Um, how, what's the best thing you've done to scale your board? Um, and that's both like the people on the board, but also like the utility of the board. Uh, well, my first premise, uh, always when raising capital was, and I would tell this to every single potential investor that we would talk to is I would, they would say, well, what matters to you? What are you looking for out of an investor, out of a board member? And I would say, number one thing I'm looking for is uh, I'm looking for wisdom that I can get from this other individual. That's like, it's not about the check because everybody would go, well, are you valuation sensitive or what are the things that matter to you most here? I'd say, yeah, sure. All those things matter. But the number one thing I want is I want wisdom and I want somebody who's going to who I believe is going to be able to partner with me and bring that to me going back to the whole piece of fake it till you make it I want to surround myself I don't want to assume that I know everything and I think the best path to an outcome for this business and just building a great business and that journey is if I can surround myself with wise people who've been there and done it and can help me see blind spots or can uh, help us as a company see blind spots. I think that's the best thing. And I think I've been fortunate to be able to do that. I've got a 
really tremendous board, a very diverse board, uh, and a board that has just, they're great human beings, but they bring great wisdom to the table. That's a great approach for sure. Uh, most important thing you've done to scale your culture. Hmm. Um, try and make sure that the company is about the people at the end of the day. Um, and one thing that I think I've, it was more accidental. It wasn't conscious early on. It's, it's definitely become much more conscious, but is early on for whatever reason. And maybe that was my own therapy journey. I started sharing fairly regularly at our quarterly all hands and things like that. I would share what one time I shared what my priorities were in life. And, you know, I, said my first priority is my wife, my second priority is my four kids, and my third priority is cordial. And I didn't think anything of it. And I had so many individuals immediately and then in the weeks and months to follow who uh, who came up to me and approached me or slacked me or in the coffee and ketchups that uh, I would do with all of our employees throughout the year would say, hey, when you shared what your priorities were. That was the first time I'd ever heard a CEO uh, articulate A, their priorities, and that B, their priorities were not the company and growing it at all costs. Hmm. I didn't, I was kind of shocked by that. So but they that didn't, real, they, they didn't realize you were, you were a human. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people, people, again, wide, diverse set of experiences. They've come from all sorts of places and maybe they've come from companies where it was such a breakneck pace that it did not matter if they burnt themselves out and there were casualties in their personal life all along the way. It was all about building the business. And I just said to myself at the very beginning on, of this thing, I am uninterested in whatever the, the end state is for Cordial. Uh, I'm uninterested at, I, I've had this picture and vision in my mind of looking out at our team and our company. And I, this picture hit me of, I didn't want to look out and see a bunch of unhealthy individuals that could be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be. I didn't want to look out on that and go, Hey, we just achieved X. And I looked out and I just saw all these tattered individuals and I definitely didn't want that for myself. Like to my kids would not celebrate that. My wife would not celebrate that. And that would be the probably the biggest letdown or tragedy for me in building cordial if that was the end result of this. That's a great note to end on. Um, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure having kind of a front row seat as you scaled your business and scaled your career. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, joining me on the podcast to uh, to share some of your experience and wisdom. Thank you. You are so welcome. You've been an amazing mentor to me along the way as well. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm.